Everyone is busy, but ask yourself, are you busy solving the right problems? It's time to stop solving problems and get curious about finding them instead. There is a problem with problems. The term problem-solving skills is heard all the time, and until I came across my special co-host's work, I used to think that it was a strength. Now I think differently. Problem-finding is the key to the problem puzzle. Curiosity is the tool we use to solve problems. A refreshing topic about us as humans and not technology for a change. So I'm really excited about today's show. And of course, taking care of business is made possible by our good friends at the EVU Group, Australia's first multi-brand real estate network. Einstein once asked, if you had one hour to save the world, how would you spend that hour? Einstein replied, I would spend 55 minutes defining the problem, then five minutes solving it. This is the theme of today's show, Cultivating Curiosity, and the title of her current book and my special co-host today, customer behaviour specialist and author, Yvette Cordy. Welcome to Taking Care of Business. Thank you for having me. Good to have you in the studio as my special co-host. I couldn't think of a better person to help me get through this topic of curiosity and you actually did change my thinking about problem solving and problem finding now is really the the key. But I have to ask you, why did you choose curiosity as your thing? So I have always been curious and curiosity led me to become a psychologist and understand people more deeply. And I've been doing deep curiosity work really for the last 20 years. So I've been traveling the world, spending time um, understanding people in their homes, following them around to, to work out why they're doing what they're doing. So for me, it's been part of the work that I've been doing. And the book really was a crystallization of all of that knowledge. Right. And so as you were a kid, did people used to describe you as curious? By Curious George? Yes. So my dad actually used to say to me when I was a kid, I used to say, why, why, why? And he said, Yvette, why is a crooked letter? Did he <laughs> he really? just got so frustrated yeah. with all my questions. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's, that's actually good that you've actually gone through that path. Now, in your journey, and I did notice that you started off pretty much as an elite athlete. So you used to train with Kathy Freeman and you were a hurdler. I did. I did. I um, was a 400 meter hurdler and um, I kind of talk about my athletics as my first career really. Mm. So um was very passionate about sport and, you know, would spend when I was in the, the, the peak of it, I guess, was spending up to sort of six hours a day doing hurdles technique, track work, gym work, stretching, circuit work. Um, and, uh, you know, my kind of, I guess, best outcome was I won the Australian 400 meter championships in 1997. So quite a long time ago now. It doesn't now. matter when the runs are on the board. I know that's, that's really exciting. And I know that you've got Kathy Freeman, uh, you trained with her and I'm assuming that you're still mates because you've got her in your book. So Kathy obviously went on to incredible things, but it, it got me thinking again, my curious nature got me thinking, what did sport teach you? So we, when you were, doing athletics were you training to be a psychologist or was that after you finished your athletics career 
Both of those were happening at the same time. So I was, because I did three degrees. So I'd done an undergraduate in psychology and psychophysiology, a graduate diploma in applied psychology and a master's in organizational psychology. So that took a long time. Mm. And I was training whilst I was doing all of that. Yes. So no, no life. That was it. (laughs) Tried to fit that in around as well. Um, so. Yeah, so for me, I, you know, I wanted to get, for me, it was about being the best person that I possibly could be. And I built a system around me. I had a wonderful coach, Peter Fortune, and we had a great um, group of people that we were training with. Um, I had a sports psychologist that I worked very closely with, um, a nutritionist, a physio. I had a, a hurdle coach. Like there was, it was really building a, a, a team around me so that I could get the best possible result that I could get. And I'm, I'm happy with what I achieved. I've never won a gold medal, but I feel like I really got the most out of my ability. Right. And that's, that's all you can do. It's that feeling of doing your best. So let's translate that into business. So what can business people learn from sport? Like what did you take from your experience in sport now into business? Yeah. So I think one of those is about goal setting. So um, goal setting, what's right for me and what can I work towards and having clear, a clear pathway towards that. Um, I think the other thing is about building a team around you, recognizing that you can't do it all yourself and that you're going to get the best out of your performance by having people around you that are going to help you to improve different aspects of what you do. Yeah, I think that's a real disconnect with business. That's certainly been my experience is that business owners, you know, they, uh, it's a, the, the thought of them having a business coach, they almost get to a point of no return to go, oh my God, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need help. Rather than go, well, let's be a bit more proactive rather than reactive and go, okay, you're running a business. So whether you're running your own business or an entrepreneur or working in a business organization, but you're reasonably ambitious uh, and you're wanting to improve, then why don't you have your team around you? It's almost embarrassed to say, oh, I need a mentor or a business coach or I need a, you know, a psychologist or whatever or mm. a nutritionist, whatever it is to help you achieve your best in business. Where does that disconnect come from, do you think? Yeah, so in, in my book, I've got six mindsets and one of those mindsets is the novice. Mm. And the novice, for us to be curious, for us to grow, for us to learn, for us to create space for new learning, we need to be able to have a novice mindset and in organizations we very quickly default to be the expert and the more senior we get within organizations the more we are expected to be the expert Mm. and to be the novice brings vulnerability to be the novice and so many people aren't prepared to say hey I might not know it all Um, I'm I'm not willing to get help and so that's I guess, um, stifles curiosity. Yeah, it's sort of perceived as a weakness in a way, which is so the opposite, isn't it? Yes. But I love the novice out of the book that I read and I really enjoyed it. Thank you for sharing and writing it. I thought it was a great book. But one of the key themes was that. I'm so glad you mentioned the novice because I really picked up on that and it really resonated with me. And that's why I love this radio show because I love being an eavesdropper and I love picking 
business brains. Uh, but saying that, I, th- I was thinking about it, I go, yeah, but I still refer to myself as an expert and maybe I should change change my thinking on that because I think it's a really, really good point. And there's a lovely story in the book, if you could share it, I'm, hopefully you can remember it, if not I can. But it was about there was this uh, person at a conference and they sat next to someone and was and the, this person asked them, you know, what do you do? So do you want to continue, continue that story? Um, do you remember it? Do you remember it? Yeah, so, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, so, so they, they're at a conference, they're sitting next to this person, and this, uh, this person said, oh, you know, what do you do? And this expert said, well, I do this, I do that, and I'm running this business, and I'm doing this, da, 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 and just did this whole sort of sales pitch. Didn't ask any questions or whatever, and this other person, said to them, oh, that's really interesting, kept asking questions, started taking notes. So the the expert thought, oh, you know, they're obviously taking notes because I'm the expert, they're learning from me, cool, this is really cool. Anyway, so they're at this conference and then they're sitting there and then they called up the next speaker and it was this person that was taking notes, the perceived novice, and the expert went, oh, no, what an opportunity missed. Is that ringing bells? Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. And I think that happens all the time. We are quick to... Um, we're not listening. We're not mm. being, and part of that kind of starts to tap into also the Zen master mindset is that you're, you're creating space to take in new knowledge and learn and, and to, um, ask questions, um, so that you can, um, cultivate your curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to do that. Someone like Andrew Denton's always a, a great example of, and I know you mentioned Andrew Denton in your book, and I thought that was a great example. He is such a master of actively listening, and that's a skill I've certainly been working on with this, yeah. is that you, you've got your questions and you can plan it so you don't – it's live radio, so and, you know, one second sounds like a minute yeah. if there's dead air. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to be able to listen to what you're saying so then I'm actively listening, then I can respond. And, and he does that really well. And, and I, I, I studied him a little bit with those techniques that he uses. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I tried to unpack that in the book because – and I use this a lot with clients to talk about when we're going in to do curiosity work – and we're wanting to learn something. How can we do that? And I think he is, and I love that he's back on television oh, because I do too. it's amazing watching him in, in practice. But to me, there's a couple of things that he does really well. So the first one is all about he's done his research. He mm. walks into the room. He knows so much about the person that he's interviewing. Um, the physical positioning, the way that he, he lowers his status or he mirrors the status so he's putting people at ease and he's positioned himself in the chairs so people have got space to look away but look back at him. Um, it's his tone. He's so non-judgmental mm. in the way he asks questions. So at one point I think he asked Pauline Hanson, you know, most people think you're a racist, but he does it in such a non-judgmental tone that, um, you know, it doesn't provoke hostility or anger. Like it's as though they walk away at the end of the interview as though they were best friends. Um, but he provokes. And even seeing him back on television, he's um, the way he kind of speaks spirals in and he gets those provocative questions at sort of the last moment before he he um he really goes in for the the hard question goes for the hard question well that's a that's a nice way for us to have a little break hold that thought because on the other side of this break you and i are going to get some hard questions we are talking to the ceo of lover duck which is the uh, really famous duck company and i know you feature uh daryl bustle features quite heavily in your book so we're going to ask him some thought-provoking hard questions and we've also got um later on the show mr wolf of marketing darren woolley 
And we're going to be talking about curiosity and how to use that in business and how to use that to grow your business. I am joined here by Yvette Cordy, our special co-host today on Taking Care of Business. And we'll be right back after this short break. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking today about cultivating curiosity and I'm joined with a special co-host today, Yvette Cordy, who's written a really great book called Cultivating Curiosity and that was the inspiration and the theme of today's show. And one of the stars in Yvette's book is the CEO of Lover Duck, Daryl Bussell. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome. Hello, Daryl. Now, you seem to pick all the cool places to work. <laughs> you've got a background in food. Uh, you've mm-hmm. worked with Chocolatier. You've worked with Mars. You're now with Lover Duck. Are there any common themes from a foodie perspective about how they handle problematic business issues? Oh, I don't think there's any particular theme. I think you, you start with the end user, the consumer. Uh, we often talk about we have to sell the product twice, once to the retail chain and then once to the consumer. So you've got to be in touch with both of those, and they'll throw up different problems. And the most success comes when you're able to solve both of those people's problems with a product or a service. Yeah, great. Now, I know I've got you, your friend here, Yvette Cordy, in the studio with Hi, me Yvette. today. Hi, Daryl. And uh, so, Yvette, uh, Daryl was a really key theme in your book, wasn't he? He certainly was. It was an absolute pleasure interviewing um, Daryl for the book and um, when I first, you know, I, I never knew what was ever going to come out and there were so many wonderful stories that um, have been spattered through the book and I, the first thing I'd love for you to share, Daryl, was your experience um, at back at Mars and back in Mars days because I think it's a wonderful example of how an organisation has really stimulated and cultivated curiosity. I was wondering if you would share that story with us. Well, certainly the story I think you're referring to was the $5 challenge that we got involved with. It certainly uh, is. Uh, and we, we would often have John Mars, who was one of the, the owners of the Mars Corporation globally, he would come out and visit us um, a couple of times a year. He had a fondness for Australia, so he visited us more than he did some of the other places. But he would tend to spend two or three hours walking around the factory. He had a very good knowledge of what the factory should look like and he knew when he could see a problem. And one day we came back out, he seemed fairly happy with the factory, but he said he did spot one problem. So, of course, we said, well, what was the problem, John? And he said, well, I'll let you figure that out. I'll put $5 up to see whether or not you can find the problem. So he went off for dinner with the rest of the management team, and then I was a ship manager at the time, and we had a team of people that just went all around the factory trying to solve this problem and find what was the issue and in the end I think we found probably 20 things we thought might have been what John was referring to and we fixed them all so when he showed up the next day we asked him what it was and he said well you fixed it you won your five dollars but he never told us what it was so there was all sorts of speculations as to whether he really did find a problem and wanted us to fix it or whether he was just challenging us to go and look harder and find some more problems. But he did give us the $5, which we framed and hung on the wall. Oh, that's good to motivate everyone and remind everyone as a bit of a mnemonic, I suppose, about the importance of of that uh, of that exercise. Daryl, as CEO, how do you motivate staff to become more curious? Well, I think it comes back to that same theme of, of this constant dissatisfaction with the status quo and looking for ways in which to improve. Now, as a CEO, you can sort of say, I've walked the plant and I want these five things fixed. Or 
you're better off setting a challenge for people because people love solving challenges. That's what curiosity does to you. And they will go off and rather than find the five things that I wanted fixed, they'll find 35 things and they'll fix it and feel proud that they were part of the solution. Okay, great. Now, how do you use social media in your business? As CEO of Lover Duck, and social media is such a big part mm. of, of your business, how do you use that? Well, the, the main reason, well, the main way that we use social media at the moment is to connect with key opinion leaders. And so we identify who those people are, and then we get in touch with them and convince them of here's a recipe that you might like to try. Now, we don't ask them to post on our behalf. We just give them lots of recipes and opportunities to experiment. And when they find something that they really like or works for them, they'll voluntarily post and get the message out for us. Okay, yeah, that's smart. That sort of influencer strategy and brand ambassadors is uh, mm. is a really good tip for anyone listening now who's uh, in business and wanting to use social media a bit more effectively. That's uh, right. I think yeah. if you straight out pay someone to be an ambassador and you give them money to say things, people are a little bit cynical about yeah, that. Yeah. So they would rather hear from a collection of mid-range influential people than just see one person deliver a staged ad on TV where you go, oh, they're paid to say that. They yeah. probably believe it, but they're still paid. So we try and look for more reach amongst that midterm opinion leaders rather than just find one person. Yeah. Now, how long have you been at Lover Duck for now, Daryl? I've been there for about two and a half years. Okay, great. And so, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about Lover Duck now? Is it is it is the head office in Melbourne or is it up in the country? Because you're speaking to us from Nil today, is that right? I am indeed. Nil is actually, it's a privately owned company that's been in uh, the Wimmera region for 50 years. We're actually celebrating our 50th year this year. Um, and all of the actual farming operations and processing operations are based here in Nil and around Nil. The farms go as far as Dimboola, etc. Um, but head office, which is marketing, sales, uh, administration, etc., is in Port Melbourne. So I spend a lot of time travelling between the two. And what's the current trends in in that in that uh, industry? Because I know that as you know, there's sort of the rise of the vegan, um, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure that's affected a lot of companies that you know have as their main product animal product. How has that affected your business, or how has it affected Lover Duck? Look, I don't think it's affected us an awful lot. We're still relatively newcomers to the protein market. So you've got chicken who's a mile ahead, you've got beef, you've got lamb, you've got pork, uh, and even seafood to a degree. So duck is an emerging protein at the moment. Um, So we're not overly impacted, I don't think, by that at the moment. Um, When we look forward, though, there's probably two customers out there, the same people, they just behave differently, whether it's a weeknight or a weekend. So what we see on a weeknight is all about convenience. People are time poor. So they're looking for people to help them pre-prepare elements of the meal so that they can get execution of the nightly meal done reasonably efficiently. And then you'll have the foodies who on weekends are looking to impress their friends mm. by doing something a little more complex, a little more impressive and a little more different. And so we're likely to play more strongly in that weekend higher end because duck is still an expensive protein compared to chicken. It's got a lot more flavour and it's a lot more, uh, if you like, technical. But people love the challenge of doing it. And, and a lot of our communication is that duck isn't as hard as what people think it is. It's actually quite easy to cook. They're just a little bit intimidated by it. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. I've actually done a, a duck cooking course at your Port Melbourne many mm-hmm. years ago, and duck is so easy because it cooks in its own fat, so I can, I can actually experience that. But it has mm-hmm. this, it's, it's really cool because it's really easy to cook, but it has this, uh, uh, perception or image of uh, something, you know, upmarket and that your guests feel like that you've made some sense of effort. So then it got me thinking, Daryl, with a business like Lover Duck, it's, it's just about duck. Is it, is that right? Just to be clear, it's just That's duck. That's correct. Right. We're, we're just duck. That's right. Yeah. And so it's such a niche market. Uh, do you think that's been part of your key to success that you haven't sort of diluted your brand in a way by going into chicken or going into other, other animal products, I suppose, but just sticking to duck? I think it is. Our lover duck brand would probably make that fairly hard anyway. But certainly I know at my time at Mars, there were various times where we would take the Mars bar, for instance, into mm. ice cream, and that's still around. Yeah. But we took that into milk drinks and other things where we weren't as successful. So I think even the, the very well-drilled multinationals will understand that you can drift too far from the core essence of a brand, uh, and typically that will start to be more challenging for you and can become quite distracting. So at the moment, we're, we're very focused on duck. What we're trying to do is help people understand how delicious it is and how easy it is to prepare. Uh, and we're a long way from reaching the potential of duck in this market compared to a lot of Asian countries where in some of those, duck actually outsells chicken and certainly places like France that have a huge range mm. of duck products. Thanks for sharing, Daryl. Um, one of the other questions I guess I have for you, because one of the things I talk about with cultivating curiosity and, um, as I said before, you know, it was wonderful to hear lots of different stories from you. And I talk about in order to cultivate curiosity, there's discipline. Like curiosity is not a one-off event. It's about, um, you know, it's, it's a daily practice. And I would love for you to share how you stay curious and what are the, what are some of the things that you're doing to, to cultivate your curiosity? One of the things that you need is think time. And in a busy organisation, people can get to the point where they don't have any free time to think. So you might have a curious thought about how to solve something, etc. but time pressures will probably take you away from that. So obviously creating an environment where people do have time to become curious and then develop that curiosity into starting to solve the problem. And I think that's particularly key. And again, uh, I'm a big believer that culture flows downhill. So if you don't set a culture of setting aside some time to start this cultivating curiosity, then no one else in the organisation will do it too. But if you can set an example that says it's okay to sit at your desk and think, whether you're not writing or typing or actually doing something, but just spend some time to think, and I think that's it's a good example for everyone else. It's so refreshing, Daryl, hearing a CEO uh, speak about that, that it, recognising it does come from the top because uh, I see so many not get that. And that's a real culture bit and that's about the success of the company and the success of the brand. And one of the bits in the book that you said, you've said, being a CEO gives me the freedom to ask silly questions. I love that. <laughs> and, then, and then and then you went on to say, but you like to call it clarifying questions because it sounds better than stupid questions. So if it's Correct. okay with you, I'm going to borrow that. I think that's a wonderful way to repackage that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, Daryl Bustle, thank you so much for your time taking uh, you away from your business in Nil. Daryl Bustle from Lover Duck, thank you very much for being on Taking Care of Business.
You're welcome. Have a good day. Yeah, you too. You're listening to Taking Care of Business. We are picking the best brains in the business world. We are cultivating curiosity. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are cultivating curiosity today. And I'm joined with my special co-host, Yvette Cordy, who's written a book called Cultivating Curiosity. Hence the theme for today's show. And in the very start of the book, she has a quote that many of you may recognize from the famous movie Pulp Fiction. It says, I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. Our next guest is hungry like the wolf and he is known as Mr. Wolf of Marketing and our resident expert, Darren Woolley. Good morning. Good morning, Jackie. Now, how did you get that nickname? Uh, I think it's because uh, our clients come to us with problems and uh, we develop and design solutions for them. Uh, of course, of course you did. I love it. Now, how do you, how do you solve problems? How does Darren Woolley solve problems? Because you started your professional life as a scientist, which I suppose is naturally curious, and now you've moved into the marketing realm. So, from a problem solving perspective, how do you solve problems? Well, um, we use uh, a lot like Dr. House from the TV show House, we use the diagnostic approach to solving problems. And that is uh, really understanding, first of all, what the problem is. And you do that by gathering as much information as possible because the better you understand the problem, almost the solutions are self-evident. Yeah, okay. Now, I don't know. I don't think you've met Yvette Cordy, but I'd like to virtually introduce you. Darren Woolley, Yvette Cordy. Hi. And Hi, Yvette. Yvette's got, uh, got some questions for you. Yeah, d- hi, how are you? So I'm, I'm curious about, um, how curio- how you've used curiosity, um, and, and I guess a specific example of, of how it's led you to a better result on a project, um, that you were working on. So, yeah, a specific example of that. So, um, it, it's interesting because people will often come to me with a problem, except that the problem is not actually the problem. The problem is often just the symptom. And a good example of that, we're quite well known for helping people find the right advertising agency or media agency. And uh, almost a daily occurrence is someone coming along and saying, we need to find a new media agency because the one we're working with is not working. And curiosity is, well, why isn't it working? What's, what's, you know, what, how does that present itself? Why do you think that replacing it is going to solve that problem for you? It's really asking a lot of questions to try and really get the nub of what the problem is and does necessarily changing agencies solve that problem for you? So Darren, what that means is that we stop wasting time with our clients going off and finding a new agency only for them to discover a year or so later that the problems are still there. So, Darren, that leads into my next question. In the marketing and advertising industry that that you're in now, the space that you're in now, are they curious enough? I mean, I think there's an expectation because they're creative, they're naturally curious, but are they curious enough in your view? Well, look, um, the the interesting part of that question is enough. You know, how much is enough? I think uh, curiosity is part of the human condition and that we need to be curious because that's actually what moves humanity forward. But the biggest killer of curiosity is fear. And I, my fear for the industry is that they're fearful of actually being curious. You know, asking the naive question in the room, 
actually getting to the heart of the problem and so they can solve it. And I think that's one of the big problems is fear, is stopping marketers being able to express their curiosity the way they should so that they can come up with better solutions. How do you think you could counteract that or how could we counteract that if fear's the main driver? Well, look, the problem is that everyone says, you know, we live in a world that uh, champions innovation. But if you also at the same time tell people that they're not allowed to fail, then you're never going to have anyone taking any risks. And I think this is the problem. You know, it's like the same with curiosity. Asking the questions that you have to ask, people are fearful of being seen as being, you know, asking a stupid question. There are no stupid questions. You know, people should be able to ask those questions. So we just have to start giving people permission to be curious and all, almost like champion that in the same way as we champion innovation. Yeah, I suppose the uh, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, again, it's fear. So the fear of missing out, I suppose, sparks a form of curiosity, I suppose. But you're right, it's only going to lead to proper innovation if people are comfortable enough to ask lots what they might perceive as stupid questions, but uh, more clarifying questions is what Daryl Bustle from uh, Loverduck was, was saying. There's no such thing as a silly right. question. Yeah, um, yeah. We have to. We, sorry, we have to get to the point of saying to people, it's okay to ask questions. In fact, don't make a decision until you are very comfortable with understanding what the implications of that decision, what the um, the outcomes will be. You need to understand those things just by constantly asking why. The other thing we need to do is to also be outside of the um, the very narrow focus that many people find themselves in. So um, what you're talking about there, Darren, for me is the rebel mindset in my book. So I've got um, six mindsets and being the rebel is all about overcoming that fear of failure and be willing to kind of go out on a limb and, and to ask questions and to challenge things. And I guess even before that, for me, what's kind of um, stifles curiosity is um, organizations are so short-term focused. So they're jumping very quickly to solutions. Um, in a 2017 Harvard Business Review article, um, C-suite executives agreed or strongly agreed um, that they were poor at problem diagnosis. So what you were talking about before is like then, you know, what they think is the problem is not really the problem. And so they're jumping very quickly to solutions and in doing so, wasting time, money, resources. So, um, and I've heard from a number of senior leaders, they're like, we don't have time for curiosity. So how do you, you know, in line with what you're talking about, they you need to explore that problem more deeply. How do you convince your clients to create more time for, for curious curiosity and curious questions? Um, well, uh, simply by asking them more questions that they usually can't answer. And then that means that we, you know, we turn around and put it back on them and say, well, unless we have the answers to these questions, you really can't move forward. I think we just need to constantly frame problems as, are you going to solve it quickly and not necessarily correctly, or are you going to spend a little bit of time uh, getting it, getting the understanding right so that the solution is right? What was the what was that famous saying? Um, do you want the answer quickly, or do you want the one that you're going to have to come back and redo all the time? I think. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I like that one. So, Darren, what are the key issues for the marketing and advertising industry at the moment? Oh, um, 
performance is uh, the biggest issue. There's a lot of pressure on uh, organisations to prove that the, especially their marketing communications is delivering to the top-line growth. Um, uh, there's issues around transparency, especially with all the new technology that's being offered. And, you know, you mentioned, Jackie, before, fear of missing out. One of the problems is that marketers have often found themselves jumping into a new technology solution because of fear of missing out on the opportunity, only to find that the solution doesn't actually deliver. Um, and this goes back to the first point, then where are you left? Because you've invested in a new piece of technology only to find out that it's not the solution. Mm, oh, it's it's interesting. What's your? Uh, I know that every every year you update your book, the current marketing trends for the year for 2017, and I know it's always a, a work in progress for 2018. As we're halfway through 2018, could you give us a little sneak peek into what possibly could be in your book at the end of the year? <laughs> uh, well, there's, there's three key issues. One, uh, which I've mentioned just a minute ago, is technology. I mean, technology is fundamentally transforming the way organisations engage with customers. Uh, the second one is that technology is also disrupting the way that marketing is often structured or the roles and responsibilities marketers are given. And this is causing all sorts of issues within it very formal, siloed organisations. And then the third one is uh, the area of digital media. I mean, we've recently heard that Facebook has come out with an announcement that they've deleted almost a billion fake accounts on Facebook. And yet, from an advertiser's point of view, that means just short of 50%, they've admitted, of their uh, audience actually is fake. Back to fake news. It's a it's a theme. I think that was the number one hashtag, uh, not last year, the year before. And uh, and I think with uh, I think there's a reason for that. That's really fascinating. Did you say a billion? A billion accounts? Almost a billion accounts have been uh, deleted as being fake. That's extraordinary. Out of two point two billion. Yeah, so that's that's extraordinary. It's always it's good to be curious and maybe ask the question, hey, uh, what what's going on here? Not actually taking things for from a surface uh, on the surface perspective. Dara Woolley, the Mr. Wolf of Marketing, thank you so much for your valuable time. It's always an engaging conversation with you. It's a pleasure as always. Thanks, Jackie. Yeah, look forward to next time. You're listening to Taking Care of Business as we're cultivating curiosity. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back to Taking Care of Business. We are talking about cultivating curiosity. And I don't know if curiosity killed the cat. It probably uh, got the cat asking questions. And I'm joined here by my curious expert, Yvette Cordy. Did curiosity really kill the cat? Like, what does that mean? Curiosity gets you into trouble. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought. And I went, well, I don't think it does. Like you talked, you know, maybe it does a little bit, but yeah. why is it such a negative connotation? It got me thinking about that song, going, mm. it's a bit negative, but then curious, curiosity is a positive thing. Yeah. And I know in your book, another thing I found really interesting was that on LinkedIn, which most people watching today uh, or listening today, we're doing a live stream on Insta and Facebook and things, so you can watch us as well as listen. But on LinkedIn, curious is the number two, is that right, number two most sought after skill? Yeah, so there was an article um, last year where they talked about link, uh, curiosity being one of the the top skills now. So 
Um, and a number of people are trying to, are using curiosity as a key selection characteristic for people. Yeah, so there's a good tip. So your LinkedIn profile, uh, or you're applying for a job and you've got to put your skills down. Don't put skills that are assumed. You know, I see people put things like, you know, I'm proficient at, I don't know, Microsoft Word or um, I'm a good team player. Everyone's going to put that. So put some stuff that's a little bit bit different. And I think curiosity is a good one. It's like when people put multitasking. That annoys me because that does, clearly doesn't work. We, we, we don't. Multitasking we, is a misnomer. Absolutely enormous, right? So if someone puts multitasking, they go, nah, no way. So actually putting down that you single task focused, now that would get my attention on a CV or a LinkedIn profile. Mm. And if you think about how many LinkedIn profiles there are or when you're applying for a job, how many other people are applying for a job. You're wanting to stand out. That's part of it. And curiosity tells people that you're open and willing to learn. It's showing an eagerness to to learn new things. Yeah, exactly. Now, with curiosity, are we born like that? Now, you clearly were, but are we born like that or is it something that we can learn? So I I think everyone is born with probably varying degrees of curiosity of curiosity, but it can totally be cultivated. So um, there are ways to do that. Um, we have to first be open to being more curious uh, because when we're closed and the example you shared earlier, we're not going to learn anything new. Whereas, and part of it's about discipline, like curiosity isn't a one-off exercise. It's something that we need to practice at all the time. I'm constantly signing up for new things, going to random events, not knowing what <laughs> I'm going to walk into so that I can cultivate my own curiosity and learn new things. Yeah, I know. That's where you and I have got something in common <laughs> because I like to do that too. And it is about, uh, and excuse the pun because you're a hurdler, but it is about getting out of your lane because hurdlers don't get out they of their lane. They don't get out of their no. lane. <laughs> But mentally you should. And so by uh, exposing yourself to different types of people, getting out of your tribe, you know, hanging around with people that you don't normally do is so beneficial, not only for your brain health. I mean, there's been some evidence from neuroscience that those sort of things can help with the um, prevention of dementia and things like that. But you're saying it also helps with some mental clarity and exploring that curiosity and innovation and creativity. Yeah, so... And, and the part of being curious, so curiosity benefits us. So it benefits organizations, but it benefits us personally. Actually, when we're curious, we, it makes us feel good. It actually stimulates the reward center of our brain. So our, our, we, we release dopamine in our brain when we're curious. So there's a real physiological benefit to us being curious as well. Exactly. I think that's, that's really key. Now, the other thing I was going to have a chat with you about is, uh, someone that most people listening will know is a fellow by the name of Seth Godin. Now, he's written lots of great books. And I was thinking when putting today's show together and you and I were doing it and I'm thinking, who else can we get on? And we got Daryl and then I saw the Mr. Wolf being, and I thought of Darren Woolley immediately. And then on the front cover of your book, and those that are on uh, can look at Facebook Live at the moment, we're going live, the front cover of the book, you have a quote by Seth. And I thought to myself, have you just got that from a book or did you actually ask him for that quote? How did that work? I, I asked him. So I was, um, I'd noticed that he had provided 
um, some testimonials on the front of other books around. And I was curious yeah, of course. about how does that work? Like, how do you get, a, how do you get Seth to endorse your book? Uh, so I, I, I started Googling it thinking, how can I find this out? And I, I didn't come across much. So I went to his site and he said, you can send me an email. Um, I don't necessarily respond to all emails, but I'll do my best. And so I wrote him an email about my book and I sent him, I hadn't quite finished the book at this stage. I'd finished, I had one sort of the first chapter fully designed up. I sent him a bit of an overview of it, sent him the first chapter and said, are you curious? Um, and, and I was a bit nervous sending it and I didn't tell my editor I'd sent it because I was, I was thinking she's going to go, what? As if Seth's going to give you a testimonial. And um, I sent it off. It was a Friday night. I remember it quite vividly. And literally within five minutes, he'd written back to me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, he's written back, he's written back. <laughs> and I told my husband, and my husband's like, he has not. It's an out-of-office reply or something. And I'm like, no, no, he's written back. And he said to me, I'm happy to take a look at the finished manuscript. I won't, I, I can't promise anything. And so a few months later, when I'd actually finished the book, I wrote back and I said, are you still curious? <laughs> and I sent him a copy of the book and he wrote back to me. We had a couple of email exchanges because he challenged me on, on my introduction and some of the points in my introduction. And at first I was like, Oh no, he hates my book. He hates my book. And then I thought, and then I, I actually went, he's made some really valid points here. So I made some amendments and I sent it back to him overnight, got up the next day. He provided me a testimonial to go on the front of the book. Yeah, what a great story. I love, love a good story. And so I then sent Seth an email. Now I didn't know that story and I saw Seth and I thought I'll just send him an email too. And he replied within two hours. Uh, and it was a great, wonderful reply. He was honored to be asked, et cetera, et cetera, which was lovely. But he basically said, uh, I don't do radio anymore. You know, alas, alas. I thought, you know, someone said to me, Oh, that's just his staff. No, only Seth would write alas. Alas, I don't do radio anymore. So, uh, that's why he's not on today's show, but, uh, I thought it was a nice sort of segue, but it's a nice story. And it also, uh, demonstrated to me, and I, I shared it on my social media, uh, stuff that, you know, the bigger the name in my experience, the more professional they are. And there's never, there's always a reason to be kind and, uh, and professional, you know, don't you think? Absolutely. With that. So, and also the other thing too, the really good message out of that is just ask. I know. Just ask. There's no and, harm in asking. And that's part of curiosity. And it's, it's interesting, Yvette, uh, we've done, uh, on taking care of business now, uh, it, we, we're into our sixth year. We've did four, five years, obviously, last year. And I thought, what am I going to do for five years? And I thought, I wonder how many people I've interviewed. So I went and counted. It took me ages, but, and it was over a thousand. Wow. I know. That's awesome. Bis- I know it is awesome. Uh, over a thousand business experts. And I always like to, you know, pick the best brains. And, uh, and I thought over a thousand. Then I, then my curious, and this is a bit of a research background as well. I've gone, I wonder what there are any common themes or threads or any patterns looking for some patterns. You know, if these successful people, if they're all saying the same thing, I mean, success leaves clues, then it's worth listening to. So I then spent quite a bit of time looking for it. And the number one, number one, this has been actually a really cool topic for um, seminars and conferences I've been speaking at, but number one was just ask. 
Really? Really? Yeah, yeah. So they all said that. All of them said, just ask. Uh, because I don't know if it's in Australia, if it's a cultural thing or what it is, but we tend to sort of, I don't know, get a bit embarrassed or nervous or like what your husband said, he's not going to respond. I mean, I, you know, and same with me, like my response, you know, someone close to me said, oh, that's just his staff. That's not really him. And he does say on his side, he actually says, I respond to all my emails personally. Yeah. So don't, don't, you won't always yeah. get a reply. I didn't believe them. I knew that was Seth. Anyway, Seth Godin, awesome. That was a great story. The other thing too, you know, he can take an IQ test and an EQ test. Is there a CQ test? If not, Yvette Cordy, I think you need to I'm working one. on it. Yes. Are you really? Because I think that would be great to then go, you know, how can we test how curious we are? I am, I'm working on something at the moment. I've actually developed some curiosity provocation cards that I use. I um, love provocation. Which, which really creates people to think a little bit more about different facets of their curiosity, but it is something I'm working on. That's good. And uh, this song in the background, I don't know if you know, it's by Imagine Dragons and I've chosen it because it's about imagination and that's again part of that curiosity of the creative thinking the innovation and curiosity I think is the foundation and the core of all those things and that's where that's related to business thinking and feeling and all those bits Yvette Cordy it's been a delight having you in the studio thank you so much thank you for having me it's been a pleasure it's been really good fun I've loved every second of it so as you can see it's time which is Imagine Dragons it's time for the end of the show I'd like to thank Yvette. I'd like to thank Daryl Bustle from uh, Lover Duck and, of course, Mr Wolf himself, Darren Woolley. Don't forget the Taking Care of Business Masterclass, less than two weeks to go. It's on the, the uh, 2nd of August and there's only a couple of chairs left. You'll find information on our Facebook page. If you've just joined us, you've missed a lot, but there'll be a podcast on the website, rdlpfm.com.au. We hope you've learned something new and feel a little bit more curious. We look forward to your company next Friday, 11am. In the meantime, you know what to do. Keep taking care of your business.